This is the 10-Minute Medic, the podcast for busy paramedic students. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Young. This is part two in our five-part series of looking at blood gas analysis and comprehension. Today, we're going to take a look at respiratory acidosis. The normal levels of CO2 in the body ranges from 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury with a body sweet spot resting right around 40 millimeters. Respiratory acidosis occurs as the amount of carbon dioxide begins to increase. This is known as hypercapnia. This happens because of hypoventilation at the alveolar level. The increased production of carbon dioxide in the respiratory acidosis patient occurs rather quickly. As we talk more about it, one of the methods by which acidosis and alkalosis could be offset is by the buffer system. This could lead to it being compensated or uncompensated. The primary etiology of respiratory acidosis is a decrease in either the volume or the rate of respiration. Because of these issues, the amount of CO2 that is produced in the body is less than the amount that is removed, leading to its increase in retention. Respiratory acidosis can be considered either chronic or acute. Typically, we see the chronic variety in patients who have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and they may present without any symptoms because they have adjusted to low levels of oxygen as well as high levels of carbon dioxide. Keep in mind that the development of hypercapnia is a late condition as patients who have early onset of COPD will typically present with an increased respiratory rate and will quite often blow off excessive CO2. It's only after several years of the disease process that they'll begin to retain CO2 because of continuing respiratory failure. Let's take a look at the pathophysiology as well as the symptomology of both acute and chronic respiratory acidosis. We'll start with the acute phase first. By way of review, remember that gas exchange takes place in the alveoli. It is there that by the process of diffusion, higher levels of oxygen diffuse from the alveoli to the red blood cells attaching themselves to hemoglobin. At the same time, these red blood cells are delivering high levels of carbon dioxide to be diffused into the alveoli and expelled with each exhalation. Think of carbon dioxide as a byproduct of metabolism, a garbage product, if you will. The higher the carbon dioxide found within the body, the greater the tendency towards a higher level of acidosis. During the acute exacerbation of respiratory acidosis, the oxygen disassociation curve will shift over towards the right. We'll talk more about the oxygen disassociation curve in a later podcast. Through the ventilatory drive, the amount of carbon dioxide is kept at a homeostatic level to facilitate the normal workings of the body. Some of the things that can bring on respiratory acidosis include any type of condition that causes a problem with the central nervous system as well as its effects on the respiratory drive. This can include both medical as well as traumatic issues in the brain, specifically with the medulla. A common scenario is depression of the respiratory drive because of an accidental or intentional overdose, such as we commonly see with the misuse of alcohol and opioids. A second situation would exist when the patient suffers some type of paralysis or neuromuscular disease such as ALS, Guillain-Barre syndrome, or muscular dystrophy. In these diseases, the muscles that work to cause breathing are affected so that they either don't work at all or become very inefficient, thus leading to hypercapnia. A third pathophysiology would be some type of an airway obstruction. In addition to the usual suspects of obstruction, such as foreign body in the airway, don't forget that asthma itself is a type of obstruction that results from dramatically narrow bronchioles leading to air trapping and hypercapnia. 
Ventilation at the level of the alveoli is controlled by the primary respiratory centers, which are found in the medulla and pond sections of the brain. Chemoreceptors located in the brainstem regulate ventilation. Chemoreceptors for CO2, oxygen, and pH control the process of breathing. Central chemoreceptors in the medulla will react quickly to any change in the body's pH. When the pH drops, the mechanics of ventilation are affected at the same time. The end result of this is that the respiratory rates and volumes will increase so as to maintain a proper level of oxygen and carbon dioxide. These chemoreceptors are also aided by stretch receptors in the lung tissue. When any or all of these begin to fail, ventilation is negatively impaired and the CO2 level will begin to increase, thus leading to acidosis. As the level of carbon dioxide begins to increase, the cerebral vasculature will experience vasodilation, which can lead to the increased intracranial pressure. COPD is a common contributor to the chronic respiratory acidosis and may be influenced by the lack of a response to a chronically high carbon dioxide level toward increasing the rate and the depth of respirations. End-stage COPD patients are more disposed to present with respiratory acidosis. Chronic respiratory acidosis may also be instigated from a condition called Pickwickian syndrome. This comes about because the patient is so morbidly obese that they're unable to expand the chest sufficiently to effectively facilitate the mechanics of breathing, especially when they're in the supine position. The signs and symptoms of respiratory acidosis that you may see in your patient will vary depending upon how quickly and how high the CO2 levels are increasing. Keep in mind that CO2 will quickly diffuse across the blood-brain barrier. Anytime you see signs and symptoms of respiratory acidosis, Keep in mind that the low pH and increased amount of CO2 are because of this. If a patient is slow in developing respiratory acidosis, such as you might see in the early stages of COP, as we spoke about earlier, they may tolerate it pretty well, at least for a short period of time. At some point, they'll begin to have interruptions as their sleep, such as can be seen with sleep apnea, memory loss, and a feeling of being sleepy during the daytime hours. Acute respiratory acidosis often presents first with a headache, followed by anxiety, confusion, and finally the loss of consciousness, also called CO2 narcosis. The best treatment of respiratory acidosis is prevention. Don't forget that your entitled CO2 monitor is defective beyond simply using it in patients in cardiac arrest. Keep in mind that entitled CO2 is generally lower than that found in the arteries. While you're developing a treatment plan for your patient, the body has already begun mechanisms that deal with the problem. The respiratory, buffer, and renal systems are at work to help offset the acidosis. The respiratory system functions almost immediately. The buffer system may take a few hours, while the renal system may take three to four days. Treatment of respiratory acidosis is targeted at the provision of an improvement in the ventilatory status of your patient. This may be done either through an advanced airway or via non-invasive positive pressure ventilation. Although it's rare to be with a respiratory acidotic patient for an extended length of time, patients suffering from chronic CO2 retention should be returned to a normal level over a period of hours. If the hypercapnia is reduced too quickly, alkalosis could result that could cause your patient to suffer seizures and death. Beta-2 agonists are effective in reversing bronchoconstriction which can improve the level of acidosis. 
Now, in the battle days of ACLS, we would treat respiratory acidosis by giving an amp of sodium bicarb about every 10 minutes. Thank goodness we don't do that anymore. The use of sodium bicarbonate is almost always contraindicated because of its tendency to cause a rebound effect of acidosis within the central nervous system. One possible exception to this rule may be the patient who is suffering from an occurrence of severe bronchospasm. The administration of sodium bicarbonate may allow beta agonists to be more effective in the action of the smooth muscle relaxation that thus leads to bronchodilation. Really important note here though, make sure that you're following your local protocol in all drug administration activity. In conclusion, let's review some of the key things that you need to remember. First, Understand that the underlying etiology of respiratory acidosis is the decrease in either the respiratory rate, the volume, or both. The use of a combination of basic and advanced airway maneuvers will help to correct this. Second, some of the most common causes of respiratory acidosis include drugs or diseases that will reduce and impair nervous system drive to breathe, as well as any obstruction to the flow of air in the airways. Common causes of this include COPD, asthma, and any other condition that might cause a bronchoconstriction. Lastly, the primary pre-hospital treatment of respiratory acidosis is prevention first and then to identify and treat the cause by improving the ventilatory process. Thanks again for listening to the 10-Minute Medic. Our next podcast will take a look at the patient suffering from respiratory alkalosis. If you have a topic that you'd like for us to cover, send your request to me at bill.young.com at eku.edu. Thanks again.